an honor to be here tonight and to speak to all of you. I don't know if I should admit this or not, but my oldest granddaughter is your guys' age, and so I'm feeling my, uh, my age tonight, but I think God has a good word for us, and I would like us to bow our head for just a moment if you would indulge me. Lord God, I want to um, share some of my heart tonight with uh, this group of people who's evidently in love with you, and I, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill this place with your presence and your power, and would you enlighten our souls to hear from you uh, a now word, a rhema word this evening, Lord, that would uh, grace us to live and move and have our being in you, Lord, and to bring glory to your name. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, when Bed asked me to <laughs> speak here on the topic of surrender, it was pretty hard for me not to surrender to that request. That would be kind of uh, not cool. And so tonight I'm going to talk with you for a few moments on this topic of surrender. Uh, and I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer to kind of launch us into the discussion. I think most of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It starts out saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it starts out with this real declaration of praise and acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. And then the very first petition, the very first ask part of the prayer is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And basically, that second part of this prayer that Jesus gave us as a model of how to pray is really a petition asking for us to surrender. It's an ask saying, God, I want your kingdom to come, and I want your will to be done in my life. And basically, when you're saying that and praying that, you're saying, God, grace me to surrender to you and to surrender to your will. And so I find it interesting that the Lord Jesus, when he gives us this prayer, that the very first petition of this prayer that's so very important, that's been recited so many times by so many people, is really a petition of surrender. Now, when we ask for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done, some of those, you know, that, that kind of a wording thing is a little bit foreign to us who live in this country because we don't live in a kingdom, do we? And I think sometimes unintentionally we think, well, kingdom, it's kind of quaint, it's kind of cool, but we live in a democracy. We might even think a kingdom is a little bit antiquated, a little bit of out of touch with who, we, with who we are. But if you don't really understand kingdom and what God is asking us to surrender to, I don't know if we'll ever surrender rightly in our lives. And if you surrender to God's kingdom and to his will, you have to really begin to think, what's a kingdom about? Well, kingdom has a king. Amen, Right? And king, it's Jesus. And the kingdom demands some things from his subjects. We're the subjects. So one thing cool about kingdoms, especially ancient kings, was they really were the protection for their people. They were the ones that were in charge of their armies, and, and, and they became this kind of protection uh, for the people and the subjects of the kingdom. Now, is Jesus not our protector? Is he not our great king, our leader? And should we not be subjected to his kingdom rule in our lives? He's our great deliverer. He's the prince of princes and king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen, right? So we have to begin to kind of think, ah, oh, I have to maybe think a little differently when I, I, I think about the, 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 the idea of surrender. It, it's, it's a surrender to a kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a second thing about a king, especially ancient kings, was that they basically owned everything in the kingdom. 
If you lived in the kingdom, basically everything that you did was owned by that king. It's just the way it was. Our Lord Jesus owns us. He owns everything about us. And basically, we error when we think we have ownership of things. We do not have ownership of things. You will never, ever truly surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that you need to surrender to him until you understand he owns everything. You really own nothing. Amen? Even your gifts and your talents and your abilities are from him. There's nothing you've done to create those in you. He's given those to you. He owns those things in you. And if you're really going to surrender to him, effectively, you have to begin to acknowledge then that he is the one who owns you. Hard concepts, aren't these? Especially in our culture. We're very independent and very much into my will be done, my kingdom come. We don't really think in terminology of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done. And the kingdom of God is kind of a twofold, two-pronged thing. It's a reality now. Even if we don't acknowledge it, it is happening right now. God is over the majesty of the mountains. I love the mountains. And he's over the minutia of the unseen. Amen? He is overall. It doesn't matter if we acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it. That is simply a fact. And as his subjects, we have to begin to be surrendered to that present reality that God is indeed overall. And he's also ushering in a future kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that's a vision for the future, something that will come in totality, and one day everything will be subjected to him, and everything will be aligned to him, and Jesus is known as the King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation, that's what we're told. And so when we begin to really understand and surrender to what God's trying to do, well, one of the things we're going to begin to pray for and yearn for and long for is for his kingdom to come in totality, and that should change how we now live and how we treat one another and what we think of wars and what we think you know, of poverty and how we treat, you know, racial differences and all that, because all that's subjected to the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that's going to be right one day. Amen? You guys don't amen here, huh? All right. I'm used to that Sunday morning, too. They just look at me like a deer in the headlight. Anyway, um, so, so this is, to me, like the groundwork of surrender. If you don't get some of this, you won't understand surrender. I love this prayer by Dr. Mark Rutland. Listen to this prayer. He said this. Because surrender begins with us, each one of us surrendering to the Lord. He said this prayer, and I like this prayer. Father, be the king of my life. May my whole life be yours to rule as your kingdom, as your possession. Be the king of my entire self. Be the king of my every wayward part, every lustful thought, every shred of hate and hurt and fear until your kingdom comes in me. I surrender all the wickedness inside of me, and I pray that your kingdom will come in its place. I pray for your will to be done in the earth that is called me. Your will, your call, your plan, your timing, and your way. I know your will is better than mine, better than anyone's, and I am simply submitting. I plead for your will in me. I pray for your will in the earth of me. And I think his kingdom comes and his will begins to be done in us when we pray this kind of a prayer. So the big thought I'm sharing with you tonight is that the follower of God is to surrender his or her life to the kingdom and the will of God. Now what I want to do with you is talk for a few moments on how that actually works out. And Pastor Ben and I go back, like he said, a decade. And I'm really glad he didn't come when I first asked him to come because it's better that he's in this position 
than that of a youth pastor. Nothing against youth pastors. They're great people. Amen. And so God has his hand on those folks also. But I think he's in a really good spot, and, and God has ordained him for this ministry. And, and so, at any rate, I'm going on a tangent. Stay focused, stay focused, stay focused here. It's late. I've preached three times a day, and I did a class. So you're getting a very tired person up here who's uh, terribly unfocused most of his life. But anyway, here we go. So for the remainder of the evening, I want to talk with you I want to talk with you on how surrender has worked in my life and how I think God would like it to work in your life. Let's start with a bit of self-awareness. I want you to engage with me for just a couple moments here. What are a couple of things in your life that cause you stress or anxiety or worry? Just think right now. This causes me to stress out. Or maybe you don't use those words anymore. This causes me to be anxious or I worry about this frequently. Or just one or two things that pop into your mind. I want to submit to you, I want to submit to you this consideration tonight. Perhaps the reason that you're experiencing some anxiety or stress is because you have not learned how to surrender something to God. And you're assuming a control that you do not have, or maybe you're taking on something that you're never meant to take on, or you're worrying about something you cannot affect at all, and really what you have to do is have a reliance and trust in God. But perhaps some of these things are going on in your life, and I want to submit to you tonight that the probable cause behind that is that you're not surrendered. And God wants you to surrender that area to him. And that stress or that anxiety or that worry is the red flag going up saying, something's wrong here, figure it out. And give it to me. So when we talk about surrender, for, for me, there's two big concepts to it. I'm going to talk on the first one for a long time, the second one for a very short time, okay? Just so you know that I do follow a note guide, sort of, and some kind of outline. But surrender involves acknowledgement and then submission to the rule of God in your life. That's pretty obvious. I've kind of talked about that already. Um, But what it means is, first of all, if we're going to surrender to God, we have to begin to acknowledge who he really is and his right to rule in our lives. And I I love what what it said in in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with the surging. I just love that because that's an acknowledgement by the psalmist that God, you know what? You are God. It's an acknowledgement of who he is. And then, I love what verse 10 says in that same psalm. The psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And God is saying to us as his people, when you're facing trials and difficulties and hard things in your life, To be surrendered to my kingdom and to my will, first of all, you will acknowledge me and who I am. And second, you will still yourself before me. You'll still your soul before me and let me move in your life. Amen? And that's a key kind of concepts to surrender. And I know how I am, and I don't know if you're that way, but I'm kind of ornery. How about you? I'm a bit stubborn. My wife would say maybe that 
in a little bit more of a harsh way, or not harsh, that's not right, because she's sitting up here listening to me, so I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> she would say it to me, like, yeah, you're a stubborn person, and, and, and uh, yeah, I'm a stubborn person. I, I am really stubborn. Are you stubborn? And oftentimes, my, my thought process, I really want my will in my life, and I want my way in my life, and I'm masterful and pretty gifted at, you know, twisting things around and rationalizing. How about you? And so that I can make something look like it's God moving when in reality it's just me trying to get my own way. And so we have to really, really, really be honest and genuine before God and and submit to him. So what I want to do with you for a few moments here is get really personal because this is what Ben asked me to do, I think. Correct? This is my introduction, Ben. This is a scary thing, isn't it? But I want to get really personal with you about my life and really my life and my walk in God has been from one surrender point to another surrender point, to another surrender point. When I look back over my life, I'm three times your age right now. And anything significant that's ever happened in my life has been when I have come to this place of acknowledgement of who God is and his right to rule in my life in that area of my life. It began when I was 13. I came from um, a typical suburban family in Minneapolis. Um, my dad was a drinker. Uh, he was a mean uh, drunk. When he would get drunk, he was just plain mean. And it, would har- it was hard around home at times. My mom couldn't cope with this very well. And so she exhibited the classic signs of depression. I didn't know what that was at the time. I was only 13, 12, 13 years old. And she slept all the time and kind of was just out of it. And so life at home was tough. My older brother was really struggling, and he was a pain in the neck to my parents. They fought all the time. And then I had a little sister, and she was little, six years younger than us, and so she was babied. And you know how that goes if you have siblings, right? The little one is the little one. And so I had all these dynamics going on at home, and I was so uh, angry and frustrated with life. And so I go to this Lutheran Bible camp, (laughs) You know, you can find God at a Lutheran Bible camp. Amen? Amen. You can. I, I mean that on all seriousness. And so I go to this Lutheran Bible camp in Minnesota, and they have an altar call to come forward and give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not kidding you. I felt like there was a hand pushing me on my back. I thought, what is going on here? And so I just went forward, and it was like I was compelled along. And I kneeled at some steps in front of a platform like this. I didn't, know, I didn't even know what this meant. And I fell on my face, and I began to sob. I just couldn't quit crying. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I sat up there for like two hours, just crying my eyes out. This 13-year-old scared young man, I was so angry and so frustrated with life. And then from that point on, everything changed. I had surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I didn't know what it meant. I had no history with this. I had no background. I just knew I was different. And I remember going home and talking to my sister about this all the time. And she said, why do you keep talking about God? And I said, I don't know. I just can't help it. And I was excited and I was on fire. I went back. I talked to my home church about the Lord Jesus. And they didn't know what to do with me. I think they thought I had lost a screw, you know. It's a little bit wacky. 
And so I began to do a search for a place where I felt like I could belong. I ended up in Souls Harbor, um, downtown Minneapolis, worshiping there. And that was a, a part of the charismatic movement, part of the Jesus People movement back in the 70s and 80s. I, I know that's way before your guys' time. But man, there were some cool things going on. And so I started going to Souls Harbor, and they would worship for a couple hours, and the music was great. And then Gordy Peterson would preach forever, you know. And then we'd go out and witness on the streets of Minneapolis. And I remember going out and witnessing with Melanie. I don't know who she was. She was an older girl. She was probably a senior in high school. I was just a punk kid at the time, you know. And Melanie was bold. And so we would go on Hennepin Avenue, and she'd grab anybody that would look at her. <laughs> they got eye contact with her. I said, oh, no. She's going to tell them about Jesus, you know, because <laughs> this guy looked at us, right? And I'm thinking, don't talk to that person. They're scary, you know. And I remember this big cowboy dude. She caught him, probably from South Dakota. At any rate, <laughs> she, she caught this big cowboy dude. And she said, do you know Jesus? And he looked at her and said, well, I'm American. Everybody here knows Jesus. We're all Christians because we're Americans. And then she proceeded to tell him why that wasn't true. And I'm thinking, Melanie, cool it. And then he looked at me finally after about 15 minutes and said, do you believe any of this? And I remember saying, you know, I do. <laughs> I do believe this. And at that point, I began to surrender a part of my life. I do believe this craziness, Jesus. To the point where, yeah, what she's saying is true, and this is accurate. And so then life goes on, and I graduate from high school, and I go off to Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, and, and I'm going to go to school there and get a math degree, Lord willing, and I went there really to play basketball. And so I'm playing basketball. And we played Bethel College. Anybody familiar with Bethel College in the Twin Cities, the Bible College? Yeah. So we're playing Bethel College. And one of my best buddies from high school, who I played basketball with high school, was going to Bethel to be a pastor. His name was Corey. We had been co-captains of Anoka uh, when I went to Anoka and played high school basketball there. And so he was telling all of his friends about me, and I'm going to go play basketball there and, and, and see Corey. So we're playing basketball, having this basketball game. Now, I, did I tell you? My life moved one point of surrender to another, right? So I'm playing this basketball game. I'm a very competitive person. And uh, I get the ball in the baseline. I turn around and take a jump shot. And uh, normally I'm a pretty good shot, but this shot went errant and hit the side of the backboard. And some stuff came out of my mouth that wasn't too glorifying to Jesus. It was pretty rough. I was, came from a pretty rough background, and every now and then this stuff would bubble out. And so I just, wah, and out it comes, you know? Did I tell you we're at Bethel, right? This is a Bible college. I have never heard a gymnasium go that quiet. It was just super quiet. And I remember the heartache I felt. I, I just was so ashamed. I had just defamed the Lord I loved so much. And something just changed in me that day. And God got a hold of me and said, you know what? You can't do this. Your mouth needs to come under my rule and my authority. And I remember saying, Lord Jesus, I repent of this. And if I ever publicly defame you again, I will publicly get down on my face before everyone that's present and I will confess my sin and ask for you to forgive me. And that was a moment of surrender of my attitude and my mouth to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could say it all just changed magically that day. But it did change its trajectory. 
And I begin to be one who spoke differently and thought differently. So then I thought, you know what? Basketball isn't probably going to be in my future. And I'm going to the school just to play basketball. I need to actually get a degree or something where I can make a living when I get done with this whole thing called education. And so I transferred to the University of Minnesota and I went uh, into the mechanical engineering program there. At the same time, I decided I probably should marry this girl I've been going out with forever. She's up in the stand, but she's a sweet girl. And uh, so Vicki and I got married and we decided to do college together. And it was great years and uh, growth years and just trying to figure out my life like you guys are doing right now. And evolved, real involved with a, a group of fellow believers and we met every week and it was just a great time of growth and I was really challenged uh, to grow in my faith. And then when I got done and got my degree, at that point we just had had a daughter, Elizabeth. So the same week I did my finals of my senior year, did an interview at 3M and got a job there, we had a baby girl all in one week, right? So that was like a little stressful. And I, I got to the end of the week and I started looking at this job. And I remember talking with my, my wife before this some that I really felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry of some sort. <laughs> Which scared her to death because we'd just gone through lots of school, you know? And I wasn't even really working yet. I'm talking about more school and changing my, you know, what I'm going to do. And we decided after some prayer that I should probably work for a while pay some bills, and figure life out because after all, I didn't know much about life yet, really. And so who am I to tell anybody how to do anything? Amen? And I agreed with her. And, I, and, and she didn't say those words to me. We agreed on that. And so I thought, if this is of God, it will continue to be something that burns in my heart. If it's not of God, then it'll go away. What we did talk about, and she did this, and I don't know if she remembers this. I remember this distinctly. But she said, why would you wait to get a degree to start ministering in the name of Jesus? Just do it now. Oh, great idea. Amen? So I thought, yeah, I'll do that. And so I went to work at 3M, and I remember thinking, God, I'm going to approach this as a holy experiment. I'm going to submit to you in my career and in my goals and my aspirations. And I'm going to make it my point to glorify your name and to lift you up, and to really do my work is unto you. Can you all do that? Do you think God wants every single person to submit to him that way in this building right now? And how you do your schoolwork and how you do your jobs? Yes, he does. I'll answer that for you. So I thought, I'm going to be this holy experiment. So I went to work at 3M. Well, you know how many opportunities you have to make Jesus known? <laughs> you have a lot. A lot more than I thought about when I made that kind of declaration. I'm going to be a holy experiment. And I remember my first opportunity was when I was being interviewed for a promotion. And every couple years at 3M, my whole time I was there, you got a different job I did. At least I was one that loved that kind of change. And every time I would sit down with someone who was interviewing me, they would say, what's the most important thing to you? What really makes you, you know, go? And oh my goodness, you know what makes me go, Jesus? <laughs> so they had asked me that question. And I remember the first time, do I say what I really believe here? And it was like God was saying, will you submit to me? Will you surrender this to me? And I remember, do you ever have that happen? I'm going to tell you some stuff real honest about myself. I remember the sweat dripping down my sides, just dripping. 
as I'm talking. This was not easy. This was like I'm in a career here, you know? And I remember saying to the ones that would ask me that question, you know, the most important thing to me is Jesus. But that'll make me the best employee that you could ever have because I'll do my work as unto the Lord and he's a tougher boss than you are. And they would just look at me like, that was strange. <laughs> but we want you, so we'll tolerate your strangeness, amen? You know, that's kind of how it seemed like it was working. Well, then I began to really bring Christ to bear on what I would do day to day. And when I started at 3M, I was doing a lot of design work of machinery, really complicated design work. And... Um, I'm going to be honest with you, if you pretend this was a machine here, okay, I would go there and I'm supposed to know how this thing works, amen? I have a degree in mechanical engineering, and half the time I had no idea how that thing worked. And they wanted me to fix the problems because it wasn't working right. And so frequently, I would be like this, dear Jesus, help me. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I would pray, give me some insight, help me to understand what to do here and how to solve this problem. And then I began to experience some interesting things. Now, I'm not going to say that I don't have some practical experience in engineering and that kind of, I have a lot, and I do okay, but there were a lot of problems I just didn't know how to solve, and I would pray, and then you know what happened? I would be sleeping, and I would get the solution. And it wasn't because I just had an overactive mind. Some people would say, well, you just have an overactive mind, and it was just settling down enough to come up with a solution. <laughs> it didn't work like that at all. And I would do it, and i think, oh, that was kind of cool. So then this really came to a big point, and I'm going someplace with all this because I just want you to hear this, but it, it came to a big point at the end of my first six years of working at 3M, and I got assigned... Actually, what am I saying? I was only 26. It was in four years in, okay, in my career at 3M. I got assigned uh, this $8.5 million machine design and installation. This was back in 1980, okay? So that same machine would cost about $20 million today. And so we were gonna, I was supposed to do all this design work and all this, you know, uh, build and implementation of this huge making machine that would make uh, body side molding tape for Toyota cars. All right, so it was a new way of of fastening some of the car together. At any rate, this was overwhelming. And I really began to pray to God, help me do this thing. And time in, time again, he gave my mind illumination. That's all I can say on how to solve problems and how to do design. And this thing went along miraculously. And it started up just on time, like it was supposed to. It made the tape just like it was supposed to. It made $7 million the first month, okay, for the company. And all this was this grand success. They're having a party. They invite me to the party. They're all getting drunk. I don't drink. Um, I thought, this is a great way to celebrate. You know what I mean? So how do I get out of this kind of stuff? But my boss at one point pulled me aside. His name was Bob Lindgren. And he said, what happened here? What worked why, why did this go so well? Oh, my goodness. Sweat. <laughs> I'm sitting there. He's going to think I lost my mind. He's going to think I'm a crazy person. And I remember God, it was almost audible, saying, will you give me glory or will you take the glory for yourself? 
ah. And I remember surrendering to God. And I remember saying to Bob, this is going to sound so strange, but I prayed a lot. And God gave me like answers in dreams and I, yeah, you know. And he kind of looked at me and said, really? Because I'm a Christian. I said, oh, you are? Huh. Okay, cool. <laughs> he goes, but I didn't know it worked like that. I said, I don't think we can make a business model like this, but it definitely worked this way in my life. And I think what God was doing was growing bigger and bigger and bigger in my sight. Amen? When you'll become a holy experiment for him, and when you really surrender to him, he becomes bigger and bigger in your sight. I got like two minutes. I'll finish up fast here. Oh my goodness, I talk a lot. I'm good? I don't think I'm good, but at any rate. So then, guess what? We move here, and I end up working at this medical plant in Brookings, okay? And, um, and I, I remember talking with Vicky and saying, ah, oh, man, I still feel like this call to ministry, and it just isn't going away. And so we found a church in town. You know what the church's name was? Brookings Wesleyan. This church. We now call it Grace Point. And we started attending here, and at this time, now we have a bunch of kids. And, uh, and, and I, I, I love this church. Vicki loved this church, and we found the church home. And I went and talked to Pastor Tim one day, who was the pastor at the time, saying, man, and I explained the story to him in a short version of God's call in my life. And this boy got excited. He's a big man, six foot five, and weighs a lot. And um, at the time, he did. He's slimmer now. Anyway... He kind of cartwheeled over his desk and grabbed me and started shaking me. This is great news. If you know Tim, he's like a little demonstrative, you know. I'll pray for you and we'll get you enrolled in school. I'm going, whoa, 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 I'm just talking. Oh, we'll get you going here. And so I enrolled in Indiana Western University and started taking school and did that for the next several years. And um, then came the moment. Four years down the road from there, I was now a plant engineering manager over here at the plant, making quite a bit of money and supervising a lot of people. And Tim said, I'll give you a job at the church as an assistant. (laughs) And uh, whoa, that was hard because it was a $60 pay decrease a year. It was a lot of money. And I remember, oh my goodness, can we do this? God, are you really calling me to do this? Amen, are you hearing me on this? And I talked to Vicki, and oh man, we prayed about it. And finally, it just seemed like it was God's will. And I remember saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not very happy here about this. And I left 3M, and I began a job here as an assistant. And it was one of the hardest surrender points in my life. And I want to just say this to you. When you surrender at times, it will be hard, really hard. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that. And when I went through this process, my lovely wife, who's so much more discerning than me, so much more in tune with the Spirit at times than I am, you know what I mean, right, Ben? This is how it works. I don't understand why it works like that. She said, well, you take the job, but don't be a youth pastor, Okay because they weren't hiring me for that. Nothing against youth pastors. It sounds like I have something. I don't. Secondly, don't move us to Williston. Okay? I have no idea what that meant. So I took the job, and one year later, Pastor Sam Crabtree took the executive job, 
at the church, Piper John Piper's Church in Minneapolis. He had been a long-term youth pastor for 16 years. Guess who they asked to be the youth pastor? Yeah, me. I said, uh, I need to talk to Vicki. So I went home, and she said, you know, I'm okay with that now. Just don't move us to Williston. Okay. We won't go to Williston. I don't even know what Williston is. So about a year goes by, and I go into district camp, and there at district camp, guess what happens? I see Mark Garvett, the pastor of Williston. He comes up to me and says, Steve, God just put you on my heart. And I was thinking about asking you to come be our assistant pastor, but then I know that you guys just lost Sam, and I thought, I don't want to do that to Tim, so just want you to know what's going on. I'm going, what? So then I had a meeting with Vicki. Where's Williston? What's this Williston thing? And she shows me on the map what Williston is. It's in the northwest corner of North Dakota. And I remember going, no, 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 no. Why did you say that? She goes, it's like the end of the earth to me. I said, oh, no. And we talked about Williston, and I said, okay, nothing happened here. This was just a test. We passed. Amen. Praise God. Six months later, Mark resigned from Williston. And the next time we had to get together as a district, several pastors came to me and said, are you putting your name in for Williston? And I said, no. What is this in Williston? I was starting to get angry now. No, 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 a thousand times no. And, and then I told Vicki, and she got upset. And I said, okay, let's not get upset. Let's pray. We'll be spiritual. <laughs> right? Did I tell you I'm good at rationalizing and manipulating? So we'll just pray our way out of this thing, right? And so we prayed, and I remember saying, God, if this be of you, if this be your will, then Pastor Isaac, our district superintendent, would have to ask for me specifically to come to Williston. And that'll never happen. I'm thinking, ha, you know, I'm happy. And so we pray that prayer. Six months later, I'm not kidding you, Pastor Tim calls me into his office, and he says, just say no. I said, what are you talking about? Just say no, just say no. I said, Tim, what are you talking about? He said, Isaac just called. He wants you to go to Williston and candidate for the lead pastor role. Now, I'm not kidding you. I put my head on the corner of his desk like this, and I began to cry. I said, no, 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 no. This can't be happening. I just sat there, and he goes, just say no. I said, I can't. I explained to him what had transpired and the interaction that Vicky and I had had. And I said, I got to follow this through. I'm praying it's a test. Please be a test. Please be a test. We got the job. And we moved to Williston. <laughs> and I remember when we moved up there, I said to Vicky, I think God's going to take us here for 10 years. And I remember her saying, Well, I'm planning on being here forever. It's the only way I can cope with it. <laughs> So we moved to Williston, and it was during the, the bus time of the oil business, and it was down, and people were depressed. I drive into a, a gas station, and I'm getting gas, and people say, you're moving to town. Uh, yeah. And then the lady said, why would anyone do that? God called me here. I don't know why he's doing this. <laughs> so for 10 years, we ministered at this church in Williston, New Hope it was called, and it was the best and hardest 10 years that I had until I got here again. I couldn't believe what God was doing and how I was fitted for that thing. 
And you know what happened 10 years later? The vice chair of this church, Rick Egerbeck, called me and said, Steve, do you know Pastor Tim left here a few months ago, right? Yeah. We would like you to consider coming back here and being the lead pastor. I said, has it been 10 years already? And he goes, what? I said, never mind. It was 10 years. I was shocked. And I said to Rick, I would never even have given this a thought because my heart's here with these people. But God had indicated to me that 10 years, something was going to happen. And I want to be submissive to his will. And I remember getting mad. At that point, I got mad at God. I said, you've got to quit doing this. Here I am in Willis and I went through all the bus here, went all the hard times. It's starting to boom now. Everything's going great. People are actually moving here. And now you're going to move me out of here? Not fair. You ever been there? Why are you doing this, God? And I remember, I'm going to submit to you, Will. I'm going to go up there in Brookings, I guess, and I'll watch Williston explode and do great from a distance. And came, came here kind of sad. And that's when Ben met me. <laughs> Had no idea what God was going to do here. And it's been an amazing 10 years now here, too. But he didn't give me any indication that 10 years would be done here. Praise be to his name. But why I'm sharing all this with you is this. God takes us from point of surrender to point of surrender to point of surrender, and that's how he grows us in our faith. And it begins oftentimes by just saying, God, I'll be your holy experiment at work. God, I'll make this decision to follow you. God, I will surrender my, my desire for a husband or wife into your will. You bring that person into my life and make sure they're the right person for me, and I'll quit headhunting, amen? You follow what I'm saying on the same thing? And you begin to just submit to God every area of your life. And here's, I, I've got notes, they're, they're pathetic because I'm not following them, this. But you have to get to the point of, of willingly lay, laying down your life. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, those of you who do not give up everything, you, you cannot be my disciples. And that's surrender in, in a phrase. You just gotta give up everything and let Jesus rule in your life. And here's the promise, you receive back much more than you ever give up. That's all I'm going to say. i got to quit. So I don't want to keep you long. I went over a little bit, and, well, that clock is way off. It says 10 o'clock. It's not right. It's 9 o'clock. All right. But anyway, you want to sing some songs and love Jesus for a while here. But um, anyway, I'm thinking we're really out of control here, but we're not. But I, I love what Jesus says to his disciples who had said, we've given up so much for you, and sometimes I've felt like that in my life. But he says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. And I can just say this to you, I've experienced this. I have so many brothers and sisters in Jesus. I've seen so many miraculous things, so many blessings. And it's all been predicated on being surrendered to the will of God. See, a surrendered life will result in a blessed life. So I'm just going to pray and turn it back over to Pastor Gina, right? All right, I'm going to do that. Or did you? No, you? Okay, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, we hallow your name tonight. We pray that your kingdom come, your will be done in our earth, in our bodies, in our lives as it is in heaven.
Father, be the king of our lives. May our whole life be yours to rule. May your kingdom rule start in each one of our hearts this evening. May this part of earth that we call ourselves be as it is in heaven. We acknowledge that you will take us to a multitude of opportunities for surrender in our lives. Grace us to be submissive at these moments. May we grow in our most holy faith, willingly surrendering to you our lives, Lord Jesus. In your name, we pray, Jesus, and by your blood, we declare these things to be true. Amen.